0: The biggest difference is that our focus is on beginner programmers and those who support beginner programmers. So I've been um, spending an awful lot of time working with teachers. You know, I, <laughs> I know this might sound obvious, uh, but uh, not a lot of people who write editors actually uh, go and ask um, beginner programmers what it is that they want.
1: Welcome to Kids Lab. A podcast for parents, educators, and everybody interested in STEAM education. Today I'm talking to Nicholas Tollavey about code grades, but we're also touching on some of his other projects like PiperCard and the Moo Editor. So I took the following from an O'Reilly book author page, but I think it's a great description for Nicholas. Nicholas is a classically trained musician, philosophy graduate, teacher, writer, and software developer. He's just like his biography, concise, honest, and full of useful information. Nicholas develops software that helps folks learn the skills and knowledge they need to imagine, develop, and program the stuff they want. In addition to writing software, he spends lots of time researching and thinking about how people learn, use, and create with code. So when it comes to education and coding education in particular, I think the one thing that all his projects have in common is the programming language Python. Code Grades, PiperCard and the new editor, they're all about Python. CodeGrades is an educational platform for learners, teachers and mentors. It's Nikola's latest project. PiperCard is a GUI framework, a graphical user interface framework for beginner coders. And finally, the Moo editor? is a very popular editor for beginner Python projects. It's also often used for hardware boards such as the Adafruit Circuit Playground, which can be programmed using Python. So I guess this episode will be all about Nicolas' Python-based education projects and the role of Python when it comes to coding in education in general. He's the perfect guest to discuss all this. For all the links mentioned, of course, visit kidslab.dev. Okay. Hi, Nicholas. It's great to have you on the show. Um, House life these days? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's uh, obviously locked down at the moment because of the coronavirus, but uh, it helps uh, in that it means that since I'm at home a lot uh, doing my work, uh, I have, uh, it affords me a lot of opportunities to do with a fun personal stuff as well.
1: So yeah. it's not so bad. At, at least we've got Python, right? So, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is kind of the topic of this episode, I would say. Um, so I kind of figured out when I looked into your biography a bit and, and what you did, that you're kind of in love with Python, and especially Python for education. Uh, I guess that's correct. I don't need to ask you for about that, I guess. But what is the reason you think uh, Python is such a great fit for education?
0: Okay, so uh, I would say that my love is with education. And the reason I love Python is because currently it's uh, perhaps one of the best um, uh, solutions for uh, teaching folks how to write code. Um, as, as no doubt we've uh, all heard over the last decade, f- since about 2010, a, a lot of governments around the world have been pushing and have realized the importance of uh, Having citizens who know how to code, who are au fait with computers, who understand how computers work, who are able to build the sort of digital society that we might want to live in. And that requires learning how to code. And like I said, Python, uh, when, when Guido invented it, his, his big insight was, you know, Python is readable as well as writable. And it's very easy to learn since it was based uh, itself on a teaching language called ABC to begin with so um, that's, thats that's why I'm interested
1: in Python really so it's, it's mostly the readability of Python they would say is the the big plus on uh, for Python or is there something else you would like to point out
0: um well uh... Yes, actually, (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Um, There's all sorts of uh, interesting things about Python, but I suspect the most important is perhaps because Python is one also one of the world's most popular professional programming languages. So um, when one learns to code in Python, uh, you actually have economically valuable skills at your disposal. Whereas if, for instance, you're learning Scratch, and I I want to make it clear, I'm a big fan of Scratch, and I don't wish to in any way uh, denigrate the efforts of the Scratch. but you can't write a web server in Scratch, if you see what I mean. Um, It's not a professional programming language in in, in one particular sense, um, even though it's an amazing and awesome uh, project. Whereas if you uh, teach a class of 11-year-olds the basics in Python and out of that class of 30, 11-year-olds a couple... Uh, might really get into it and uh, you know I guess it's a little bit about a, a little bit like music education that lots of people have general classroom music lessons as part of their schooling um, when, when they're in school uh, but a, a, a significant minority are interested enough in music to want to actually take up an instrument, join a band, you know, play in a local orchestra, in a choir, that sort of stuff. And my impression over the many years that I've been a teacher and a programmer is that it's a similar sort of exercise with programming. Um, Not everybody enjoys programming. Not everybody sees uh, importance in programming, but everybody should at least be given the opportunity to learn whether that's the case for them. And for those for whom this is the case, learning Python uh, will mean that they have... uh, you know they have learned one of the world's most popular programming languages um a language that is used by Google by uh, by Facebook by Disney um you know data science is full of python uh micro is in all sorts of strange and interesting devices so python's everywhere we use python inadvertently every day so um uh, it's 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 a good 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 choice
1: yeah, very good points. So I would say let's jump right into the first project I wanted to tackle. So we have essentially three projects, Code Grades, and then I want to also talk about PiperCard and the new Editor. Let's start with Code Grades. Um, I think it's your latest creation, your latest project. Um, what is it all about? <laughs> okay. So
0: remember how I mentioned about music, uh, just a moment ago? I'm actually a classically trained musician. That's what my undergraduate degree is, uh, is in. I'm a, I'm actually a tuba player and pianist and what have you. Um, and, uh, what I asked myself a couple of years ago, uh, was, um, what would, what would music education look like if we taught it in the same way we try to teach coding? Um, and uh, I came up with all sorts of silly examples of like a music boot camp that will turn you into a professional musician in three months or, um, you, you know, just go read a book, you know, Playing the Tuber Made Easy by O'Reilly or, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and it, it, when cast in that sort of context, it becomes obvious that um, music and coding have very similar... Sort of tr- learning trajectories, you know, there are very complicated skills to learn and they take a long time to truly master. In fact, I would argue that one never actually masters either of them. You just flounder around in new and more interesting ways um, with a little bit more experience, really. Um, so code grades um, is the result of me flipping the question around. What would happen if we taught coding like we teach music? And, uh, you know, having been trained as a classical musician, having taught music as well as, as computing, um, I was able to draw on those two sides of myself, the coder and, and the musician. And um, in the UK and, and elsewhere in the world, uh, there, there is this notion of a music grade. Really, um, and in the UK we have eight grades. Another analogy might be belts in martial arts. So you start with a white belt, you get to a black belt, and there's several belts in between. Um, and most people who who start, you know, karate or, or playing the piano, um, grade one is something that they can achieve with some practice in uh, a reasonable amount of time. And once they have achieved the requirements for grade one, grade two comes into you know, is in view on the horizon. And uh, some people um, fly through these grades um, and miss some of them out. You know, a white belt might take the green belt and then blue belt and then black belts, or they might have to take all of the grades in between because people are moving through acquiring these skills at uh, at a different speed depending on um, their background and competencies and things like that. So Code Grades is taking the same sort of stepping stones approach because i noticed that when it comes to resources online we have a huge amount of hello world make the led blink you know uh, make me a a, a a a random dice thing that you do with beginner coders and then you get the sort of educational resources that I use as a professional programmer. So the API documentation for Amazon's AWS S3 buckets, (laughs) photo um, module in Python, Um, you know, a, a big part of my job is learning new things all of the time and synthesizing all of that stuff, consolidating it and then making, making it come out of my fingers as useful code, but there wasn't really much in between. So, that we have lots of beginners who can do hello world blinking a thing on a, on a, on a micro bit or a Raspberry Pi. Um, but how do you take those next steps to being a professional developer that gives you the autonomy and the uh, self direction and the smart to understand what you should be looking for, what you should be learning about? And so, um, this, like I said, stepping stone approach. Is is basically what code grades is. So, in a nutshell, from a programming point of view, uh, each grade you uh, you present a project of your own devising to a professional coder, and the professional coder um, works through something that would be familiar to professional coders, and that it's like a live code review. So, when I submit any code. My code is reviewed by my colleagues. So this is like a code review. But at the end of it, what you get are marks, essentially, um, for certain aspects of what it is to be a coder, At that particular level of your coding experience, so grade one, it's very simple, very basic, very introductory and a lot of fun. The emphasis is on fun and making an interesting, goofy project. When you get to grade eight, which is the highest grade, we're expecting you to be working using tools and skills that are equivalent to that of a professional junior developer. So you would understand how to use Git, you would understand how to triage bugs, and you would demonstrate this in the way that you present your project to the professional programmer
1: so does that mean that that every learner is basically paired with a mentor uh, on the other side
0: that's correct so what you do is you prepare in your own time uh, for your grading um, and we have a, a syllabus for what you would need to demonstrate for each of the particular grades. Um, and then you book a time, or you will book a time, with, uh, with. well, actually, it's funny you should mention mentor, because rather than calling them examiners, which sounds <laughs> frightening, uh, we actually call them code mentors. Um, and the code mentor is a professional developer who, um, you, obviously, you pay for this privilege, um, and they uh, make a bit of money by providing this mentorship um, to uh, to the people who turn up, um, and, and this is a, this is a model that's used in the music world, obviously in martial arts, and, and all over the place. Um, and uh, to me, coming from an open source background, this is a wonderful uh, experiment in seeing if this is a way for open source developers who might want to write open source code all day rather than get a real job. um, This is a a sort of source of income because like professional musicians, you know, especially in COVID uh, lockdown times, uh, you know, there's not a lot of work going on. So a lot of professional musicians have lots of, different irons in the fire uh many of whom will be examiners for the music grading um organizations like the associated board um so it's it's also a way of trying to help the open source community sustain um sustain its work by allowing people to develop mentorship skills which is important anyway as an attribute um uh for, for for a software developer so that's it in a nutshell
1: very cool. Thank you so much. And I would assume it's it's all about Python coding then, so the, the learners are learning Python and the mentors are checking on Python, or is that correct? That's correct
0: at the moment. Um, the only reason we're using Python is because I'm a Python programmer professionally. I know lots of Python programmers who have said that they are interested in becoming mentors. Um, uh, so it, it fits, but there is no reason why the grading couldn't work for... For example web development or um, 3D printing or hardware hacking or learning a different programming language like Ruby,
1: um, that sort of stuff. I think it's a great concept, really. so and, Thank you. Uh, where do people go to to get started, actually? Codegrades. Dot? Codegrades.com. Um, Very
0: good.
1: <laughs> and that is our holding page. Um, at the moment, we
0: are... Uh, <laughs> if this was a software project, we would say we are in alpha stage. So we have run... The, the, the grading process a couple of times with various different people and groups of people to try and refine the process. We hope to enter a beta stage during the autumn and we have a new website on the way which will be launching in the autumn where folks will be able to see a syllabus that has been finished and is being refined at the moment, some resources that some folks are working on for me and uh, they'll uh, people will be able to... Um, express an interest in taking a grade and uh, we'll we'll invite some of those people to to take the grade
1: um uh, in, in the autumn so I guess that's definitely something to put into the show notes. And by the time this podcast episode will be out, most likely there's something to see at coderates.com. Very cool. Exactly. So next project I wanted to discuss is pipercards which is a GUI framework for beginners. So GUI means graphical user interface. And so this is fairly advanced stuff, I would say, for Python programmers. Uh, it's at least not directly for the Python beginners. But I guess you somehow made this... GUI framework a bit easier. So what is PiperCard all about and and how does it help you to get started with GUI development?
0: Okay, so (laughs) PiperCard is interesting for lots of reasons. For a start, it's based um, its philosophy is based on HyperCard which uh, was a a, a GUI framework from the 1980s and a filter of Adafruit's um, we, we we sometimes share ideas via email and, and what have you. And uh, he was talking about PiperCard, hence the name, um, as a way of writing um, GUI applications for some of their Circuit Python um, boards that have uh, little L, you know LCD screens, that sort of stuff. Um, and I said, would well, you mind if I take that concept and turn it into a regular Python library? He's like, yeah, go for it, um, because Adafruit are a really wonderful. Community oriented sharing organization. Um, and the other strand of this is that pretty much at the same time, I was working with a group of teenagers in London, uh, the, the, the Young Coders meetup. Um, and I was working on code grades with them, helping them prepare for some code grades. And what I noticed was that these young coders, these would be, you know, uh, 11 to sort of 16 years old, um, print Hello World does not float your boat if you're 11 years old. (laughs) If you are used to playing on an Xbox or having a VR goggles or using social media and watching a video on YouTube, um, essentially it needs to be kind of graphical rather than textual. Um, And so PiperCard is a way to help relative beginner programmers create very quickly GUI-based applications that they could run on their desktop or on their mobile phone as well. Um, Because this is another thing I noticed is that uh, for a lot of these folks, their primary computing device was their mobile phone or their iPad or or their Android, whatever, rather than me being an old man. Uh, Well, I'm not an old man, but you know what I mean? In internet terms, I'm a dinosaur, Um, you know, me using my laptop. So um no comment yeah yeah <laughs> quite <laughs> catches up with us all eventually um so pipercard is um tries to i don't know boil away all the um all, all the unnecessary complexity and it leaves you with just enough to be able to write simple applications um that are ui driven and the way it does that is that uh you need to imagine that your application is like a stack of cards and you are looking at the card at the very top of the stack. And what you do is you draw or you describe what's on that card. And that's the thing that's currently being displayed on the screen. And that might involve buttons or some other such thing. But when you click on parts of that user interface on that card, what you get is a transition to another card in the pack. And, uh, also, the ability to run snippets of code as well. Um, and then um, that transition tells Piper Card, well, what's the next card that needs to be um, displayed? And so if you imagine, I don't know, a choose your own adventure book from the 1980s, another kind of throwback to the 1980s here, where you, you start on page one, you know, you're in an orc infested den. You know, if you'd like to say hello to the orcs, turn to page 37. If you would like to run away, turn to page 57 um, and you choose page 57, then you're transitioning to a new card on the stack or a new page in the book and uh, th- you're looking at something different. And that's essentially how PiperCard works. Now, these young coders who were game, very game-to-be-test subjects uh, wrote some really interesting applications. So one kid wrote a tic-tac-toe game, which knocked my socks off because, yeah. you know, I was like, "What? How, how did you manage that? And what I found so interesting was that I imagine people would use Piper Card in one way, and he was very creative and used it in a completely unexpected way, which I found totally delightful. Um, Another one... created an application that allowed you to um, generate new passwords for your websites. Um, So you you want to sign up to a new service, you open up your mobile phone, uh, start uh, start this app, and what it will do is take you through the steps that are needed. So you're going from one card to the next, and in the end, you are given a secure password that's easy to remember, because what he did also is take an English Dictionary um, and, uh, and and basically combine four or five words. So you got horse staple waste basket car. That was your uh, password. Um, so course, yeah. So it, it it seemed to work. And now Pipercard is. I hasten to say uh, in the very early stages of of development and uh, a lot of the problem with PiperCard is that Python doesn't often work natively on mobile phones. Now within the Python community, there's an awful lot of work um, to make that happen. So beware is, uh, is a project that springs to mind, but that there are others, Kivi being the one that is currently used by PiperCard, but um as that matures, I'll be able to make PiperCard work work better in that sense. So. Oh,
1: amazing. So you kind of answered all the questions, all the next questions that I had. So you gave <laughs> us an overview already. And you also talked about some examples. And the one extra question I would have had for you is really about how does it translate to Android, actually? Does it also translate to iOS in this case? Then, or?
0: Yes. it. Tra-
1: <laughs> I would say it translates with difficulty because
0: Google and Apple um these are walled gardens and and piper card is not a typical application it's not written in swift it doesn't use um uh you know apple's development platform or, or the blessed android development platform and so uh one of the challenges that i'm facing um and this is what, you know, friends and buddies in the Python community are helping with is how to put in place the infrastructure that's needed so that when a kid in the Mu editor, for example, um, it clicks build um, the APK file, which is the thing that you actually transfer onto your mobile phone your android phone um is created without them actually having to worry too much about how it's created it just works Uh, but that takes an awful lot of heavy lifting to figure out how to make that work properly
1: so uh, wow and now you you already mentioned uh, the last project you wanted to talk about right new editor so it's a super popular when it comes to python based coding and and education so how is new editor different from other editors uh,
0: I would say um, the biggest difference is that our focus is on beginner programmers and those who support beginner programmers. So I've been um, spending an awful lot of time working with teachers. Um, you know, I I know this might sound obvious, uh, but uh, not a lot of people who write editors actually uh, go and ask um, beginner programmers what it is that they want um, or teachers what it is that they want. And so this is perhaps the unique thing that Mew does is that we spend a lot of time watching teachers teach Python. Um, we watch how users use Python. We see what the bumps in the road are and we try and make something that is a proper code editor, but is built in such a way that it is simple enough that a beginner programmer can access it without too much difficulty. Now, the other aspect of Mu that I think is very important is that uh, we don't like people to use Mu for too long. Uh, we see Mu as the toddling stage between the baby sitting on its bum, shuffling around, trying to figure out where to go, through to the toddler who can walk around and explore the world as it sees, you know, as its interest it takes. Um, Mew is that stage where, you know, the little little, uh, infant is pulling itself up and wandering around and getting to see what's out there and inspiring it to to go and take its first steps. Um, So if you're using Mew... Um, you know, like three years down the line and you've not graduated to a, <laughs> a, a, a professional editor, as, as I say, or, or, or something a little bit um, more advanced, then we're probably doing our job wrong because we want to encourage people to get off Moo and go use the development tools that, that real developers use, as it
1: were. So what what's the editor that you're using now that you've grown up?
0: <laughs> oh, that's a terrible question. Okay, I... Um, I have used for
1: many years Vi, um, and that is perhaps um, which, which you should probably explain. is like the most low-level coding tool you can imagine, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's not particularly user-friendly, and the only reason I use it is that when I was at university, it was the thing that was installed, and I had to learn how to use it. And since then, my muscle memory is such that you, you know I, I just know my way around Vi, and I can I can use it. Um, it it's also extraordinarily powerful for for writing text and searching and moving code blocks around and all of that all those advanced things that I might need as a professional developer but vi because it's so small it's, it's everywhere as well. So if I'm working on a remote machine in in a cloud somewhere, um, I, I can know for certain that, that VI is probably installed and, and
1: I can get on with my work. So um,
0: there we go. I don't know. All the Emacs users out there are probably screaming at this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very cool. And, and that's actually also one of the positive side effects of using Python, right? You can just use any text editor in the end. Uh, if, if you want to have a little bit of extra tooling, then you can use Moo to get started, for example, uh, other than that, Vi, any other text editor is actually fine. Very cool.
0: Yes, I would. I just want to add. Uh, I recommend that you don't graduate from Mu to Vi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I I recommend you graduate to something like VS Code or, or, yeah. or PyCharm or something like that. And and one of the things that we try and do with Mu is make a proper development environment. So Mu has a graphical debugger. It's just a very simple one. So that when you get to Visual Studio Code and you use their graphical debugger, it's a Quite a bit more complicated than Muse, but the terminology is the same. The core concepts are the same. The core buttons that you'll be using to navigate whilst you're debugging are the same as in Muse. So we're kind of giving you the step up that you need, because if you've started with Visual Studio Code, um, it's going to look like a 747 flight deck. Um, and you have no idea what all of these buttons do, and they're all a bit frightening. Um, whereas Muse, we make it friendly. So it's an important point.
1: So something else you already mentioned a bit is uh, MicroPython. So it's like the, the micro edition of Python that runs on on um, microcontrollers. And one way to play around with MicroPython, for example, is with a Adafruit Circuit Playground, and it's supported by by the Mu editor. So the question would be, how in, in what special way are you supporting these educational devices via the Mu editor? Um. Uh, uh, so Mu has um, a secret MicroPython
0: mode that. All of the circuit playground, uh, Circuit Python, Microbit, um, soon to be Lego type stuff, all inherit from. Um, and because MicroPython generally works in a very similar fashion across all the devices, once it has MicroPython on the device, um, then Mu will, should just work. Famous last words um, with whatever the devices that, that you plug in, if it's a supported device, so anything Circuit Python should work. Um, ESP. 32 and esp8266 boards should just work um lego you know lego spike for instance uh, that's a new mode that's coming soon um that will work uh, obviously the micro bit which is how mu started um uh because mu uh was created as a psf python software foundation contribution to the microbit project um and sort of grew out of hand (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so you could try it on a microbit as well
1: um very cool so, Nicholas, how are you financing the development of all these projects? And uh, I mean, you mentioned that you were probably also mentoring for code grades, but it's also in yeah. development right now. And, and what is the best way to support you?
0: Okay. So, um, how am I financing this? I- I'm paying for this myself. <laughs> really, uh, I have been very lucky. Um, I need to mention a few organizations. So the Raspberry Pi Foundation, were, uh, I'm very grateful to them because they paid me for a couple of months to do some work um, on transitioning Mu from being a micro bit only editor to being a generic Beginner's Python uh, code editor. So thank you for that. That was back in uh, 2017. Um, the Microbit Foundation have have given me a little bit of money to to, to do some Microbit related work. Um, Adafruit have also um, asked me to do some work as well. So I, I, I'm i a freelancer. So I, I kind of get get money in that sense. But in terms of it's an open source project, um, do people support this or do people um, support uh, code grades or or? Or a Piper card, then the answer is no, it's just me in my own time doing those things. Um, hopefully, code grades, um, because you have to pay to take a grading, um, is some way of establishing financial um, support for coding education. Um, people will be able to pay for their for their examination as it were but we can then pay people to do the appropriate sorts of development that's needed on mu and Pipercard and all sorts of other wonderful education related projects Um, and so we get a virtuous circle uh, where you know the people who are learning are actually helping to pay mentors to learn about the things that beginner programmers need so that they can build the tools so that beginner programmers can get a better start in in the programming game really So uh, if you want to support me, however, uh, I have a a GitHub sponsorship page where people can can sign up and um, give me money that way.
1: Very cool. We'll definitely put that into the show notes. Fantastic. Um, So then let's move on to some other Python projects. Or In the Python space, there are so many projects out there, of course. So I just wanted to ask you, um, you're this Python guru, basically. What what do you find interesting these days when it comes to education? Something else? In education?
0: um, Oh, gosh so uh there's um there's a friendly traceback uh project which is really super cool um and friendly traceback a traceback as i'm sure you know is the basically the error message that you get when something goes wrong when python goes boom and um the, the, the the way it works in python at the moment is that it's written for professional developers and i can look at the stack trace and i can understand it but it's uh it's rather intimidating. It looks a bit. It looks a little bit like looking at the Matrix, <laughs> um, if you're not uh, an experienced developer. And friendly traceback is a tool that traps those uh, stack traces and turns them into something that's a little bit more friendly. Um, so the beginner. So the beginner developers don't get some. You know, um, I don't know. Um, value error exception line thirty seven integer casts. To, to boolean not allowed and you go well uh, i don't know what that <laughs> means um friendly trace traceback will tell you in your own natural language for a start so if you're french it'll say in french what the problem is um but it it, it it will also understand what a value error is and it will give you hints as to what you should be looking for and blah blah blah, blah, blah all that sort of stuff so that's really, really cool pretty I'd, cool project. i'd
1: love to see the traceback yeah. to emoji <laughs> Conver, please. <laughs> That might be too simple. Sorry. Yeah, yeah it's just a crying face, really.
0: That's, <laughs> it's gone wrong, crying face. <laughs> exactly.
1: So, is there anything else you would like to, to mention? Something you always wanted to say on a podcast, or you would like to mention some plans that you have for the future, maybe? I mean, we know you're working on code grades, of course. So, um, anything else? Okay. So, the
0: uh, the the thing I would like to end on is a word of encouragement. And that is for both teachers who might be listening to this podcast and uh, learners who might be listening. Um, I used to be a teacher uh, in secondary schools in the UK, in the UK state system. Um, And it was the hardest job that I ever did. And I have nothing but admiration for our teaching colleagues. And I think that you do an amazing job and uh, what I want to do is just recognize that contribution because the other aspect of being a teacher is that nobody says thank you um, <laughs> uh, because it's all about the students as it should quite rightly be but this is a space for me to say to uh, teachers and educational you know people working in education you know thank you for the work that you do um, you're helping to create uh, you know help the coders of tomorrow find what they need to do to, to make, you know, the digital world that we'll be living in, in 20 or 30 years time. Um, Keep it, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. And for the learners, I would say, um, you know what? Uh, Don't, listen to the boot camps that say in three months, we're going to make you a professional coder. That's blatantly not true. That's like saying in three months, you're going to be a professional musician or a black belt at karate. Um, That's not going to happen. You are going to have to do this for the long haul. Um, But there are lots of communities out there like the Python community, like your teachers and so on and so forth who will help you do that. Just make sure that um, you remember that you're learning to toddle and then learning to walk and then learning to run. If you try and learn to run, at the very beginning, you're just going to fall flat on your face. So that's part of the learning experience as well. The number of times I have made terrible mistakes in my code, or I look back at code I wrote just two years ago or so, and I think, what was I thinking? And I've learned so much since then. So coding is a fun thing because you're always challenging yourself to learn new things. So good luck, best of luck. And I look forward to working with you in the future.
1: <laughs> wow. That was a great emotional ending, very unexpected. (laughs) Thank you so much, Nicholas. It was absolutely cool to chat with you. Thank Um, you. All the best in the future, especially for Code Grades, and have fun. Thank you. You take care. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the role of Python in education. We've covered some of Nicholas' projects such as Code Grades for Learning to Code or the popular new editor. Now head over to kidslab.dev to check out the show notes with all the links of this episode. And of course don't forget to subscribe now if you don't want to miss a future one. Next up I'm talking to Bridget Haggerty about the Spinwheel, an educational Kickstarter project that's soon shipping.